Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking Tuckians? What the fuck is Sodans, of course, from Minnesota, which is where I just was last week. It's been sort of a whirlwind few days. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for dumping me into your head. I'll try to be proactive in what I say, because if you're going to put me into your head, I will try to give you something to uh, work on up there. Not like homework, but just I, it's something nice. I'm going to deliver something nice into your brain. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Fred Willard on the show today. What an amazing comedic talent that guy is. I mean, do you remember the first time you saw Fred Willard? He's always there. Uh, and whenever he's there, it's always funny and it's always very uniquely his. Whether it be any of the Christopher Guest movies, always hilarious. So it goes so far back. He's just one of those guys that effortlessly is funny. And we had a great conversation. I want to preface that conversation now with the fact that uh, it was raining, I believe, and uh, there was a gutter runoff just outside the garage door, which you don't hear very often because it doesn't rain that much here. But when you're listening to Fred, it's not your brain leaking. It's actually outside here. So before I get into the uh, the chat, because I did have a good time in Minnesota, it was my return to the Acme Comedy Club for the first time in 12 years. Finally, Lewis let me back into the Acme Comedy Club, and it is one of the best comedy clubs in the country, and that is no bullshit. And the Minneapolis audiences are some of the best audiences I've ever played for. I had some, I think the Thursday night show is one of the best shows I ever had in my life. And that's a fairly long life. That's a lot of shows over a life. Oh, and also, speaking of Acme Comedy Club, I want to thank the, uh, the wonderful Amber Preston for uh, featuring for me. She will also be with me tonight in Grand Rapids. Um, I love her. She's funny. Thank you. Oh, and also thank you to Nate Abshire for emceeing. Good job. Uh, good times. All right, here we go. Moving on. Can I just plug some gigs? Because if you go to WTFPod.com and go under the calendar there, you will know that tonight I'm doing stand-up live at Gilda's Laugh Fest in Grand Rapids, Michigan, 10 p.m. show. You can get the link through WTFPod.com. On March 17th, that's Saturday, we've got the WTF Live at Gilda's Laugh Fest in Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Wealthy Theater, both of these shows. You can go to my website and uh, get the info. I believe there are tickets. I, I don't know if there are tickets. I think there are tickets. Let's say there are. Next week, March 23rd and 24th, Bloomington, Indiana, at the Comedy Addict. March 27th, live WTF here in Los Angeles at the Trippany House, previously the Steve Allen Theater. March 29th, I will be at the Ice House in Pasadena for you LA folks. April 6th and 7th, Denver Comedy Works. April 13th and 14th, The Stress Factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And April 19 through 21, I will be at Helium Comedy Club in Portland, Oregon. Again, Portland, Oregon? Oregon. Again, go to WTFPod.com and get links to all that. Look under the calendar section. Hey, let's not get too crazy. Let's not get too lost. One of our sponsors today is Comedy Central. Catch up with all your favorite Comedy Central shows by subscribing to the Comedy Central YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Comedy Central for that. 
for the Comedy Central stuff. Let's get to it. Minnesota, great. I, it's been crazy though. I was in Minnesota Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Sunday morning, I got up at like four in the morning after pushing the clock back an hour to fly from Minneapolis to Austin, Texas to be there for a four o'clock live WTF taping. I got to the hotel. They put me up at the nicest hotel in Austin, which I certainly can't complain about, but I can complain about the fact that I got there at about one. I needed to prep for the show. I need to shower the day off of me. I didn't shower the night before, flew in. My room's not going to be ready till three, an hour before the show, which meant that I had to uh, stand there at the check-in area of the fanciest hotel in Austin, the Driscoll, gorgeous hotel. And they told me, uh, you can't check until three. So I said, really, is there any way I can check in? And then the manager told me, no, there's really nothing we can do. So I, as an adult said, fuck, fuck. Are you fucking serious? I've got a, I've got shit to do. That was a proud moment. And then they gave me a key to the fitness room, which is where I showered. And then they gave me another key to the business center, which is where I prep for the show. And then uh, at about 2.30, they let me check into the LBJ suite. Man, that was something. I wish I could have stayed there a couple more days just to explore the rooms. High ceilings, fireplace, leather-covered furniture, beautiful i was there for four hours and then as i walked out of the hotel i uh looked at the woman who i said fuck to in a general way and the manager and uh, i just said uh sorry for being a dick and the woman at the counter said oh you're cool you're cool which led me to believe that there were much bigger dicks in town than me and there were on a lot of levels on a career level and clearly on a attitude level and then i went on monday I flew out of Austin the next day to New York to take the John Oliver stand-up show, which went great. But let's talk about Minnesota for a minute because, wow, I've learned something about boutique hotels or or hotels that consider themselves boutique hotels because I stayed at a place that was really, it was a a boutique hotel, but it was of a a, a large chain. And it was sort of like, it was as if an Ikea had fucked a halfway house and this was the offspring. That there are some things you just can't paint over with uh, modern design or catalog sculptures or arty sensibility in a sort of uh, B-level way. I'm not complaining about the hotel, but there, when you're dealing with a hotel, you don't know what that place was before, and I don't know what it was, but it was obviously some sort of residential hotel in the low-budget realm of residential hotels, and you just can't erase the sadness in those rooms with a coat of paint and a new, uh, new rug. Those, you can't get the karma out of those rooms. And sometimes I think they should honor that. Maybe some of them do, but they should have maybe uh, left the payphone in the hallway. There had to have been a payphone in the hallway at this hotel where calls were made to drug dealers or to angry spouses. Hey, baby, when can I come back home? I can't live here. I don't know. I miss your cooking. They've, uh, they've only got a hot plate and one pan here, please. I don't know why that accent was, I saw as appropriate for Minnesota, but I can't do a Minnesotan accent. But I'm just saying that the sadness was there. And I don't know who I am to talk because I'm sitting there. And what I'm saying is maybe the sadness never leaves. It's just a hotel thing in general. I mean, I was in Minnesota a few days. I immediately, I've been there a lot. And I'm going to, I was banned from that club for 12 years. And I thought it it was for a reason that turned out not to be true. I had this this weekend that I thought it had buried me at that hotel. It was before I cleaned up. It was over 12 years ago. And I thought Louis Lee had uh, heard about what I had done. 
in his condominium. <laughs> uh, but it turns out it was just uh, he thought I was a dick. Some guy wrote an article on me in the paper up there, and, and he asked Lewis, and Lewis just thought I was a dick. And uh, I, I was. But that story just stuck in my head. I'll tell you that on Monday because I got a lot of Fred Willard here, and I don't want to spend too much time gabbing. But uh, in terms of sadness in residential hotels, I did go across the bridge. I took a walk over uh, the bridge on Hennepin Street, and I went to, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Kramarchuk's, which is a uh, Ukrainian sausage sausage joint. Pick, pick myself up a big old container of sauerkraut, a couple unduly, unduly sausages, a couple of kielbasas, brought them back. So I don't know that the sadness ever leaves because uh, is there really a difference between whatever went on there whenever it was a broke down residential hotel or furnished apartment and me sitting there at 2.30 in the morning after my shows not being able to sleep, eating a sausage with a mound of sauerkraut and no mustard on the pans that they made available for me in that in that room, me calling my girlfriend 2.30 in the morning, 11.30 in L.A. saying, yeah, the shows were great. No, I'm good. I'm just just having a sausage that I cooked up myself here in the room. Yeah, it smells like sauerkraut in here, but I got some peanut butter bars that someone brought me in the freezer, so I'm good. I'm okay. Is there a difference? I don't think so. Let's do this. What? I'll be in in a second. Pow! Whoa. Wait for it. Yeah. I just shit my pants. That's uh, justcoffee.coop. Available at WTFpod.com. Get that uh, WTF blend, and I get a little bit of a percentage on that. All right, enough of that. Have you done many podcasts, Fred? I have done a few, yeah. It's always a little strange. You never know, uh, are you being heard or when are you being (laughs) heard or what, uh, it's going into space. But, uh, well, we're recording it, but it it must be fascinating that uh, this is is part of show business now. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Is this... Well, this is not streaming. I remember I did nope. something with it. Streaming. streaming means it's going out live. No, this is not streaming. It, but it's it's pretty pretty close to it. So, you're one of the funniest people alive. That's what I tell people, and people kind of look at me funny. And they say, well, I don't know. I, there's a lot of funny. <laughs> <laughs> but was this the, was this always the the, the direction? Well, was this always the big plan? You know, I always I was kind of the class clown, as right. most comics were as a, as a kid, kind of grown up, and I. I for some reason, I, I guess I don't know if they'd make um, kind of funny remarks in school, and I, but um, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I always loved comedy. I think it's uh, it, it's just a nice release to, to hear a comic and, and go someplace and laugh. Where'd you come from, though? Well, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. When Cleveland was great, uh, it was it was at the time called the best location in the nation. You know, they had steamships coming in, and it was a steel town. And because she- I was just there, and I'll tell you, it's uh, it's a little sad. Uh, it seems to be bouncing back a bit. There's a couple good restaurants, but I could tell it was a great city. As- at, at one time, it was pretty booming. It was, I think, it was like the fourth or fifth largest city in the country because you- it was a, a, you know, it was right on the Great Lakes. We had the Indians, and we had the Browns. We had. Uh, uh, big vibrant downtown and, and 
I don't know what happened. I think all, all the industries kind of folded, and everyone moved to the suburbs. Right. And now downtown, there's the center, which used to be called the Terminal Tower. Yeah. It's now uh, Terminal uh, Tower City. Right. And then you go about 18 blocks east, and there's a lot of theaters. Some of them that I used to go to as a kid, they'd have live shows. They'd have a movie, and then Danny Kay would be there, or Bob Hope. Or you saw Bob Hope? Jack, uh, I, I did see Bob Hope. I remember I saw Jack Benny, Danny Kay. Really? Uh, How I, old were you? Oh, I was oh, just a little kid, just old enough to go downtown. My, I'd always have to have a friend take me. You know? uh-huh. My mother would say, you're not going downtown by yourself. Not really. You know, Parents yeah, never yeah. realized these great moments that... Uh, uh, and, and I'd hang out by the Cleveland Stadium if I go to a ball game. Even if I didn't go to the ball game, I'd hang out by the visitors' um, exit, get all the visiting players' autographs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot are great. Um, Do you remember seeing comedy? I can't imagine. So they'd have the uh, they'd have a movie and a comedian or, or shorts. Well, or... it wasn't even the the comedians. Well, Danny Kay, Jack Benny. Yeah, but I don't remember seeing stand up comics well, I, was I, there even that a form yet it was more i don't i think it was for the older crowd right you know, if you go to miami or grossinger's yeah these older comics with always with a tux yeah, yeah. and a lot of jewelry on their hands um really? and i was going to dinner or going to miami i was just in miami uh but i remember what impressed me the most i don't know if you remember a, a spike jones the musical act well he was huge and he, he, he was yeah. huge and it, very good musically and i went uh, I, I'd heard his records, and his, his show came through Cleveland, and I went down to see it, and I'd never seen... It was a comedy review, but it was based on music, and he do, did takeoffs on uh, on songs, um, Cocktails for Two with sound effects. Right. And he, they had, he had funny characters, Sir uh-huh. Frederick Gass, uh-huh. and, people, and he had a harpist who just sat on the stage. Uh-huh. And you'd never, they made a big thing of it after you noticed the harpist, the woman had never played the harp. She just sat there. <laughs> yeah. And I was just amazed. This is comedy I'd never seen before. And they were doing it for radio, so it was, you were watching yeah. a, a stage play almost? Well, I think he was doing his radio show, but I think he also did a stage performance. Right. Because I remember he had a, a joke. He had a, a a dwarf who came running across the stage pulling a rope. Yeah. And you watch the dwarf pull the rope, and you kept watching the rope kept moving, and here yeah. comes the dwarf again in the back end. And as a kid, you'd never seen it. It was a, like a another dimension of comedy. Was that, a, that was your first dwarf experience? Yeah. Well, and Cleveland, you didn't know. I mean, you didn't know dwarfs. Uh, you didn't know what. But uh, up until then, the jokes were the uh, my mother-in-law drove my Cadillac off yeah. a cliff. Mixed emotions. And which was funny to me. And it's all mixed emotions. I That's see. Clever. Yeah. yeah. It was but not I, a dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> but I always wanted. Uh, I always liked comedy. It's, yeah. it's kind of a release. I guess I was always kind of a, a worried kid, and I still worry a lot about things. So, um, so it gave you some relief. A relief. And my parents were not very. It wasn't what not a laugh filled. Household. <laughs> no, no. But I had aunts and uncles who were funny. Thank God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They'd come over, and you know, my mother was very, uh, you know, not, 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 calm down. I don't. My father, and uh, what did you mean? I heard from school today that you had a, uh, you know, some, and um, there was a lot of panic around. That. Yeah, <laughs> but I had these wonderful aunts and uncles that would come over. My one uncle would pretend to steal silverware. Uh-huh. And, um, it was just, so I always laughed at that. Yeah, what kind of racket was your father in? I'm not sure. He was working for something called Morris. Planned bank. It was something about automobile financing, <laughs> but he passed away when I was fairly young, which is it, it's always very uh, um, emotional. You know, I was like 
11 or 12 years old uh-huh. and he died. And that was, you know, it's really... Tough age. It, it's like a big dose of reality. Because sure. you don't know. You, no one's going to die. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Great-grandma died. She right. was almost... Uh, you know, she was really old. She was seventy-five. Right. right. Nowadays, seventy-five doesn't seem that old. Right. You know, well, she's a, he was a kid. Yeah. Uh, so but, that was a big void. Yeah. Yeah. So then yeah, I was I wanted even more laughs. Anything that would be right, funny. And, right. So when you left Cleveland, I mean, you you grew up there, and then what was the next step for you? Next step, let's see. I went off to. Uh, I was sent away. My mother remarried uh, yeah. the, to the wicked stepfather, and they decided that send me away to a, uh, a prep school, a military school, Ugh. and I went away to a little one. My last two years in in high school, which turned out to be a lot of fun. It was in Kentucky. It's no uh-huh. longer there. Yeah. But in the winter, the selling point is they moved the whole school down to Venice, Florida. Oh, okay. For three months. Yeah. And that was so great to be in Florida. And then, um, so then I, I decided to go. I said, this is kind of fun. And I took some kind of IQ test. And I turned out, or some test. I had the highest grades or the highest IQ of anyone in the school. Because these were a lot of times they're, they're kind of kids that are sent there because they're not doing well. Sure. It's like, and I'd uh, gone to a very tough high school in Keep Cleveland. them out of jail. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they were quite on the brink of jail, but okay. it was either that or go in the army or go yeah. into the uh, go get a, a job delivering yeah. groceries. Yeah. So I was one of the, the brightest students. So I went to a place called Virginia Military Institute. Wow. Which was a lot tougher than I thought. Was it that would like be. West Point? Yeah. Was, so everyone was in uniform. Yeah. And... Yeah. But I, I I played sports there, and I, I which I was, sport? Baseball, and I I got into cross country, which is a tough sport. Running. Running. Yeah. About five miles. That was a tough sport. And yeah. Indoor tracks. So well, you I, look like you're in pretty good shape now. I still am. I, I still I try to be, and I'm still hoping to maybe if they, uh, you know, have a little expand, a couple of more expansion teams. I've given up hopes of playing in the big leagues, oh, but so, a couple yeah. of years sure. in the minors, yeah, maybe. Why not? It's never or, too uh, too late for that kind of thing. I, I, double A or something. <laughs> Live that dream. Yeah, I don't want to be a DH, but first base, maybe play five <laughs> or six innings and take the rest of the day off. That would be fun. But then, you know, I always want to be a baseball player, but then you go out, first you see all these terrible injuries. Yeah. Have. Then you realize there's guys that aren't on the first string, and they come out to the ballpark every day and sit on that bench for nine innings. Yeah. And uh, then they're worried they're going to be sent down. Then they're sent down. Then they're hitting 170. I said, I don't know. That that wouldn't have been. I don't think I would have liked to have done that. I'm kind of <laughs> glad I never got wrapped. You know, as a kid, you always think you'll hit 350 and sure. be a big star, be a hero. How hard can it be? You yeah. Know, you throw the ball over the Focus. plate. Focus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you end up going in the military, or how did that I did. Out? Which, uh, which t- branch? T- um, I, I, Army? It was Navy? Oh, it was the army, and oh, I yeah. think it was artillery, and because at the time there was a draft. Um, so I'm taking it you didn't have to do anything if you think well, it was artillery. That, it was no, I did. There was no you know firing guns or anything. I got on uh, in some special thing, but I got to play. I was sent to Germany. Yeah, and I played on the went out for the baseball team, and I made the baseball team, so it paid off. And the good thing is, we we're stationed in Germany and went all around all these different cities. Um, playing baseball, you know, Berlin and Hamburg. Oh, wow. What year was that, you think? Oh, it was in the early 60s. Okay. And uh, I don't think there's any military in Germany anymore. I'm sure the Germans hated us. Well, they all used to be, it seemed like a lot of people spent time there. Elvis was there. I mean, uh-huh. Germany was a big base That's, for yeah, us, right? Yeah, we occupied Germany. So the, it was a little pre-Vietnam. You didn't end up uh, going anywhere? Was, or you no, did? I didn't go. And then I came back and I said, now, now what will I do? Yeah. I think I'll be an actor. That can't be too hard, you know, because you see him in the <laughs> movies. They, I can act, and I went to an acting school. You did? I did an acting school. When you go around in New York at the time, everyone 
had scene study. We're going to do scene study and, sure. and mime. And I said, well, I, I said, do you ever put on a show and invite uh, agents? Oh, no, no, no. We just study. Yeah. So I finally found a place called <laughs> Showcase Theater. And I said, what do you do? He said, well, every 10 weeks. Yeah. We put, they were very theatrical. Yeah. And we put on a show. Uh-huh. Uh, the show was in their apartment. It was in there. They had a, a, a stage a, a in their salon. Room. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a salon. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, and we invite, uh, you know, professional people. So I said, this is for me. So uh, I, I got in there, and I, I did. And um, I, I find you can't really teach acting. Well, the best tool is to just get up and do scenes, and you can kind of tell yeah. if you're doing good or not. But sure. our acting teacher would drive me nuts. He was a... He was, uh, you'd get up, you'd memorize a scene, and you'd get up on stage, and you'd get one line out, and he'd stop you. Oh, God. All right, now, now I want some business. Do some, and I, I want to say, Jesus, let me just go through the scene once. And, um, some business. Yeah, Twitching. Some business. What are you doing? What is your intent here? Yeah. Um, so, but I, I, I met another guy who had a good sense of humor, and we started joking around, and we saw an ad in the, in the trade paper, uh-huh. you know, the trades in the New York, uh, off Broadway show uh, is in development, like uh, backstage or for, something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, the casting office says, "Please do not come in person. Do not send pictures. Do not phone." It's, why do they? Why are they even <laughs> what, having? What's, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, there was a, a ad. We're doing a show. Yeah. Comedy actors mm. wanted. So we went in. Uh, it was on Forty Fifth Street, a rehearsal hall, no longer there. And the guy said, uh, uh, "Do you have your own material?" We said, "No." He said, "Well, come back with a sketch." So every week we'd write a sketch and come back, and they never put on the show, but finally we had so many sketches, the guy said, let's put on a show with just you guys. So we did a show. Who was the other guy? Uh, his name was Vic Greco. Still in the game? I, I, no, I don't think so. And I, I, has, I don't, he, He's in New Jersey or New York. Huh. And, um, but a very funny man, and he, he made me laugh, and we was, uh, he was, uh, they said he was like Ned Sparks, if you remember that, a guy with a cigar. He was a yeah, very oh, yeah. sour face. Uh-huh. And um, it made me laugh. And eventually we got an agent and we, you know, just developed from there. We did got you on... do the show? The show, they never did it. We did our own show. Yeah. And then we started working the coffee houses in the village. Together. Which was the big thing. Yeah, we'd get up and do, we'd just do sketches, which was, I guess it was unusual. We never talked to the audience. So like the bottom line and uh, the, uh, what else was down the village? Uh, uh, the, the village gate or anything oh, like that? Oh, the village gate. We played uh, the gaslight. Oh yeah, Bob sure. Bob Dylan played. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who was around the scene then? So what well, we talked about. Bob Dylan was working there. Peter, Paul, and Mary. You saw uh, them? Uh, no. Uh, who did I? See? A lot of folk singers and not uh, many comedians. Was Woody Allen I'm walking? Trying one to around? think. Yeah, he, he was, but I think we were a little after him. Yeah. So um, was this like '69 or? Something? Oh no, no, earlier than that. It was the early. Uh, wait, middle '60s. So it must have been pretty crazy. Down it there. was great. It was just a great time. We played in a little club called the Cafe Chino, mm-hmm. which I thought was named after Cappuccino or something. It, the guy's name was Joe Chino. Uh-huh. And every week he'd do an original little one-act play. Uh-huh. And, it's a tiny, and now it's a restaurant. You go and it's a little tiny place, but we did, they did a one-act one act plays or we do our sketches. And, Get and a good it, response? Oh, great. You know, we, we had very kind of offbeat stuff, new, new stuff. Do you remember uh, any of it? Oh, yeah. I, I'm still pulling some of it out in... Uh, and doing it place. So just really? A, a little, uh, well, we had a, I'm, one that's easy to describe. I, I would come out and say to the audience, or I'd just say, I've put my wristwatch on my ankle, and I'm going to wait to have someone come by and get them to ask me what time it is yeah. 
So I'll pull up my pant leg and I'll say, oh, look, it's 4.30. And here comes a guy now. And the guy came by. He's yeah. waiting for a bus. I'd say, gee, it's a nice time of day. It's getting darker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say, I'm waiting for this bus. Is it late? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I said, what time is the bus supposed to come? Supposed to be here at 5. And finally, I said, look. Do you have any idea what time it is now? And he pulled up his pant leg, and his watch was, it's 4.15, and that was the blackout. Yeah. Um, and we did some stuff in clubs. I remember one club owner, we auditioned, and afterwards he said to our manager, it's obscure humor. They're doing obscure humor. Because also at the time, there were uh, the popular, was after M- Martin and Lewis. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of acts where the, the guy played a trumpet. And then the other guy did the comedy. Hey, hold on there. Right. What are you doing? So you got a wacky guy and a yeah. straight guy. So I think one of our problems was uh, neither one of us was the wacky guy. They're just little sketches. Right, right. Did. It wasn't a, a team dynamic. It no. was just a vignette. In one sketch, uh, yeah. I'd be the dumb guy in another sketch. Sure. And then, uh, so it was hard to sell that act as a nightclub act in it, some it way. It was. And we would, we would go into a club and bomb and go to the next club and just be great. We went into the old Hungry Eye in San Francisco. And so just, you really toured with this. So you yeah, guys, yeah. Okay. And at the time, there were only about six comedy clubs. It was the Hungry Eye in San Francisco, the Gate of Horn in Chicago. All uh-huh. those places are gone now. The Bitter End in New York, which is still, still there. Still there, kind of. Uh, and there are five or six others, and we'd make that that tour. And the two of you. Yeah. And you did what? You, you had what? You had like about an hour or what? Yeah. And they have an opener? We didn't improvise at all. We We'd open for some acts. Other times, other acts would open for us. Huh? And um, you, you don't remember who, uh, like, who was around or any of those opening acts or Miriam Makiba. Does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. She Very was, uh, pretty, kind of African. Yeah, she's a folk singer, right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think yeah she yeah. passed away. Yeah. And one day, uh, this is not a censored show. Is I just want to no, tell you, you can, what some we were in in Washington D.C. in a club. We were rehearsing, and we yeah. were very ambitious. We go into a club and yeah. we, we we opened one night. Yeah, and the next day we're in the club going coming up with new material. And a guy came in and he was watching us. He kept watching us, and he said, "I loved your show last night." I said, "Oh yeah, it was pretty funny." Uh, he said, "I love that Miriam Makiba." I said, "Oh yeah, she was good." He said, "I'd really like to fuck her." <laughs> we said, "Oh yeah, well she was very good." I mean, we thought he was there to watch our, our show. So anyway, um, like you were going to say, like, "Okay, let me go get her." Yeah, Make yeah, we'll put in a word for you. But we'd we'd go in a club that the, the Smothers Brothers had played in, and I'd seen their act, and they were so good with music, and I yeah. felt, "Geez, all we did is the, these sketches." But people still will come up to me and remember. We had a sketch where two mathematicians were, were, were having coffee and talking about Bernoulli's theory of, of, uh, of physics and yeah. talking about the big, uh, the big uh, uh, convention of mathematicians. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the last year it was wonderful because con- uh, Professor So-and-so requested once, twice, three times a lady. <laughs> that was a- but then it turns out we're time to pay the check. Let's split the check. Yeah. And it was twenty four fifty, and we couldn't figure out what right, half right. of twenty four fifty yeah, yeah, was. Yeah. So we we left a tip. We'll leave ten percent, and we we walked out. And the waitress comes out and says, "Professors, oh dear, they left me a hundred dollars." You know, it was a, <laughs> yeah, dumb guys. Uh, and I'd <laughs> forgotten that, but some someone reminded me of it. And you know, we I'm still part of a sketch troupe. My wife and I run it. We do it. We just did a show last night at the Second City Theater in Hollywood. And about once a month, we we have a, a group of about forty people, and at any one time, there's fifteen, twenty. And we do an evening of sketches. And every once in a while, someone will remind me to say, you know, I saw you in the village. Remember that thing you did about the mathematicians? I really? Said, no, I don't remember. Then I'd, I'd think about it, and then I'd rewrite it, and we'll do it. And then they go over very well. We did one last night that I 
pulled out of the thing. It's a ship, you know, one of those ships where they're all rowing, heaving. There's sure. a guy whipping them. Yeah, it's a slave ship, I a think. A slave ship. <laughs> and um, the guy, he, he. Yeah. So we say, well, it's time to mutiny. Are you ready? Are you with me? We're going to take over the ship. So mutiny, we grab the, the slave driver. We tie him up, and we get back to the oars, and everyone's out of focus. You know, heave, oh, no, you've got to pull together. Land is one mile north by northeast. So I said, well, well, look, we need someone to lead us. I cannot do it. Who can and someone says, let's set him to it, the guy who was whipping us. So yeah, we yeah. let him free, and he starts whipping us. And I say, ah, free, we're free at last. But it's a good audience, you know, it's a, a, a strong sure, piece. Sure, sure. And this was something, that was something you wrote with Greco? Actually, it was something I did in the next group. I, I, I went to Second City in Chicago for right, a so year. So you, you toured, you started we New York. We toured for a couple they, of years, and it's tough when you're working with one guy. Now, you work alone. Yeah. So when you go off the stage, if you bomb, you, I don't know, you, you probably very seldom bomb, but if you do, you probably hopefully say, oh, it was the audience. Or, it's, you know, screw it, you have friends. Yeah. If it's a two-man team, you kind of think the other guy screwed up. Why yeah. did you screw up? So it gets tense. Yeah. So you need more people to blame. So, yeah. <laughs> so eventually... <laughs> Uh, we we broke up. Yeah. Now I wrote all the material. Oh, there you go. I wrote all the material, and we never wrote it down. And we did it, but uh, he was unhappy. He had a wife and kids, and he had a lot of responsibilities. We broke yeah. up. I got hired to go to Second City. It's a long story. I, we we went in. Uh, I went in an audition with Robert Klein. When now? How big was Second City then? I mean, it was. Were, it wasn't as big as it is today. It had opened on Broadway. It got a big acclaim. Alan Arkin, Barbara Harris, Severn Darden. Was Ed Asner involved? Or was Ed, that... that was before that. Okay. Shelley Berman and Ed Asner was called the Compass Players. Okay. Um, I did not know them. But the, in the early 60s, they came to Broadway. With a review. With a review. Uh-huh. And it was the smartest stuff you'd ever you seen. You saw it? Oh, my God. Alan Arkin was in it? Alan Arkin, Barbara Harris. Smart. They all had beards, and they were talking about... Uh, but it was all comedy. All comedy. Because Alan Arkin is hilarious. Oh, Yeah. And um, so eventually they were casting, and one year they, uh, I teamed up with another guy and another guy to try to get the old act going. It just it wasn't working the same. Same bits? Yeah. And they'd- um, Was there moments where you're like, I miss Greco. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. No one else was uh, as funny, but- Because you kind of built the groove with him. He just didn't want to work with him. So I got, I went down to audition for for Second City. They'd seen us when we'd been in Chicago. Yeah. So they went, and I said, I told my agent, I can't do that stuff. It's very bright. It's talk about Kierkegaard and So I went down. Luckily, I, I just hit a vein there where I, I got up. They get two of us up. We improvised, and they offered me a job. And of course, <clears throat> well, I'm not sure. I don't you know. I'm doing something else. So they they gave me a week to think about it, uh-huh. and I went begrudgingly. And had the greatest time of my life. I went for six months, and then they extended me for another six months with Robert Klein. It was who, uh, so. This was the uh, the crew. Bob Klein, yeah. Uh, David Steinberg. Wow. From Canada? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's still, he does, he, he, he's a it's director, a director now, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Bob Klein's still doing comedy. You talk to Robert Klein still? I, not as much as I like to. He lives in New York. I'm sure. a big fan. I yeah. love him. Um, <clears throat> Who else was in that crew? No one you'd know of. Um, Sandra Karen, who's living in England. Judy Grobart, wonderful. She was like an Elaine May, very goofy, funny. Uh, and, and she married a guy named Bob Dishy, a former uh-huh. Second City guy. Uh-huh. Uh, then I went back to New York. What year was that now? Where were we at? This was uh, 70? 70. Okay, so Klein had not done stand-up yet. No, and, and I influenced him. He he would, in the dressing room, he would do these funny bits. He'd always do it, get to be Christmas, and he'd lean up against the wall and say, what is Christmas to me? I got no mother, I got no father. You know, do yeah, James yeah, Dean. Yeah. And he'd make me laugh, and, and I'd... 
and every night I come in and uh, Bob, Christmas. Are you looking forward to Christmas? It's like a yeah, kid. you're setting him up. Yeah, Christmas. What is Christmas to me? <laughs> yeah. And then when he expanded, so one day I said, Bob. He was Bob then. Yeah. Um, he. Uh, I guess there was another Bob Klein. Oh. And so he had to change his name eventually to Robert. And he told a very funny story. He was an actor, struggling actor story. Got a call. Bob, you've got to come in. I've been looking for you. Where are you? Yeah. Where have you been? So he said, oh, okay. So he went to the agent's office. She looked at him. She said, oh, no. I, I meant Bob Klein. The other. Yeah, 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 the other Bob Klein. Um, and I would say, Bob, you must do this on stage. Because I, I couldn't do stand-up. I'm very easy in sketch. I'm awkward in stand. I said, "You got to do stand up." Yeah, he says, "I tried it." And so about a year or two later, I went back, and he was in a play called "The Apple Tree." Uh huh. And uh, I, I went out with him to uh, to, the, to the stage deli. Yeah. And I said, "Bob, what have you ever done about your stand up?" Yeah. Said, Funny you ask. Uh, Jack Rollins, the manager, uh, is is managing me, and he wants me to do stand up. In fact, I'm going down to the Improv tonight to do it. Come on down on to Forty Fourth Street, yeah. the original Improv. Bud Friedman. So. Uh, where, um, not Ethel Maroon, Bette Midler was a waitress. Sure, sure. And um, Andy Kaufman was probably Andy, there at that yeah. time, or maybe a little before him, huh? Because uh, they still had a cabaret sort of feel, right? At, the, yeah. at that time, were there singers still? Yeah, waitresses no? would get up and oh, sing. Oh, boy. And uh, I don't know if Andy... I, I, I think it was before his more time. More aware of Andy Kaufman in L.A. at yeah. the improv. Um, but, it's, so ma- it's amazing how much you've seen. So you you sort of... Uh, influenced uh, Robert Klein a little bit to do stand-up. Yeah, yeah. And at Second City, now, for, before you went to Second City, you were primarily working from script and material, and now yeah. you know, you're know you sort of known as as uh, one of the great improvisers. Yeah, so which, where did that happen? Uh, well, at Second City, everyone's, you know, improvised. So then I got a call. They were putting together a, a comedy group, and I was in a, an off-Broadway play now in the village, uh-huh. uh, um, um, Little Murders, which was directed by Alan Arkin. So you worked with him. I worked with him as a director. He was such a great director. He'd sit there. He's very noncommittal. He'd look at the, the stuff. He said, this is a great show. He said, I don't care what the... the he says, fuck, fuck the, the critics. It's a great show. <laughs> and about three weeks in rehearsal, he said, I don't know what to do. We're ready, we're ready to open. Yeah. And someone had to leave to do something. Go, go. We're all we're ready. And I loved him. He was so supportive. And one night... How, how, uh, in a preview, Mike Nichols came in. Now this is oh, the wow. peak of Mike Nichols. And it was now directing. I, oh, so I'm the a graduate there, yeah. I think he just done Catch Twenty Two. So it was like nineteen seventy one or something. Seventy one is when it was. Okay. Yeah. And he came to see, it and we were at a party afterwards, and Mike Nichols came up to me, and I said, "Hey, I really, really enjoyed your stuff. Where have you been?" And I said, "Well, I've been doing sketch stuff." And he says, "Yeah, I really enjoyed your performance in this one scene. Uh, have you thought of being more?" Something like concise. Uh-huh. And I said, that's a good good idea. I'll think about it. I didn't know what he meant. <laughs> so the next day, I, I, I said to Alan, it was a rehearsal. I, I said, Mike Nichols said, should I be more uh, concise? Thinking, uh, Alan would, would say, know. oh, of course. <laughs> he said, how dare Mike Nichols give you a direction? I'm the director. You're doing it just right. So I, I said, boy, does he have confidence. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I got into a group called, they were getting together down at the, um, uh, bitter end yeah. called the Ace Trucking Company. I uh-huh. said, yeah, that'll be fun. We're going to do sketches after the show at midnight. I said, that's great. Cause I'm doing this play right down the street. I still have some sketch ideas from second city. So we get up and we do ske- these sketches that I would, I would come up with the sketches, but the guys in the group were so funny. They, they'd flesh them out and then we'd improvise. And I guess that's how I, uh, 
But then we, we started getting jobs. And the guy who, uh, I, I'm failing with names here, uh, Dave Fry. Remember uh-huh. Dave Fry? I, I, I don't know if he I... He did. Tra- he was the great, the Nixon. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was, yeah. was famous for the Nixon. Right. Uh, his manager came to see us. Yeah. And we were thrilled. And he took us over, managed us, got us on the Sullivan Show. Uh-huh. We didn't even have a name. and we, we, we How we many came, were there of you? There were four guys and a girl. Isn't that amazing that that, that, was, that happened on late night television? Yeah. Because like, you would never see that now. That, that Ed Sullivan would say, now here's a group of kids. Yeah. They're doing a little thing and whatever. They, and, yeah. They, they were no, they, but we started, then there were a whole bunch of improv sketch groups. I know. With people, funny names. Oh, my God. New York Stickball Company. uh Outer space baseball. I had no idea. Yeah, and we did it. We did very well. We got where did Sullivan? We got on the Tom Jones show, and this went on for several. We we, we would do a show. It'd be uh, uh like forty minutes of set material. Then yeah. we'd open up for improvs. We'd ask for for. We found the best thing. What are your uh, pet peeves? Yeah, and people had my pet peeves are the so and so. We do a little improv about it, and it was a fail safe thing because. If the improv wasn't going well, one of the guys put on a little uh, tiara and he had a wand and he walked out. He said, I'm the bad improv fairy and I claim this improv is over. And I get a huge laugh. Uh-huh. And then we close with a set piece. And uh, the next thing I know, I was being asked, I did a lot of things and um, got a call from Christopher Guest once to come down. And my my manager, you've got to go down right away. I said, well, I'm doing something. You know, well, he wants to put you in a movie. I said, well, you know, what's the hurry? Well, no, he wants to see you today. So I I knew Christopher Guest. I knew who he was. I'd been in Spinal Tap with Christopher Guest. Right. But what happened to uh, Fernwood Tonight in that period? That was late 70s, so that must have come later. Yeah, Fernwood Tonight. I mean, like, because that Martin Mull. That's right. I skipped for... about six years there. Yeah, but that's like... Uh, the prison years. Which <laughs> because that sort of set a new standard for television comedy. Yeah. Because uh, I have vague memories of that because I was about 13 or 14. And it was on late, right? Wasn't yeah. it? Yes, but, it was. It but, was syndicated. So it was on 11 o'clock here, 7 o'clock somewhere else. And I was still a kid. Uh-huh. But I just remembered that there was this buzz around something different, that something uh-huh. different yeah. was happening. Oh. And it, it was, it, it, what was the, the premise of it? it? It was, if you remember. A local the, talk show. A was, local right. show in a little town called Fernwood. Right. Which was the home of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. And that became a spinoff, correct? Someone said, wouldn't it be funny if they had a cable t- TV show in this town? What would it be like? Now, three or four people have talked to me and said it was their idea. I don't know whose idea it was. But they called me to come in and, and, and do it. And, and you were the sidekick to Martin I was Mall, the sidekick. Who was, who was a hilarious guy. Oh, my God. I, I didn't know him, but I'd gone to see him in a club. And I said, boy, this guy is, is very sharp. You know, yeah. he didn't take easy, he didn't make easy references. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they said, you'll be the side, you'll be the Ed McMahon. I said, well, I don't, don't want to be, that to be a cliche. Really? Did you? And I went in, I said, you know, I started naming people that would do better than me. Yeah. And they said, no, no, everyone says you'll be right. Look, if you don't want to do it, just come in for a week during the rehearsals, yeah. the warm-up rehearsals. Till we get someone else. I said, okay. So sit in. So I sat in, and it was we laughed so hard, and it was so funny. At the end of the week, I said, you know, um, one time, again, Martin Mull, we were, we were, we were having call, callbacks for uh, people who had uh, come into audition. Uh-huh. And some girl was doing a call, kind of a pretty girl. Yeah. And she was coming. She had was in the callback. And he leaned over to me, and he says, this is the point where I thought we would be getting blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost fell off my because I'm kind of a proper guy, you know. I said, "What you're so talking like this in front of this girl?" She didn't hear it, but I said, "This guy is sharp." 
Um, this is before comedy really went that blue. So, I, so do you? But you don't have a problem with blue comedy. Oh no, I love it. Yeah, if it's funny, if yeah. it's blue comedy, if it's funny, I'll go out of my way. Because um, I always assume, like one time you were at the comedy cellar and I was on stage, and you probably don't remember it, but you were sitting in the audience. Oh, and like I only knew you from uh, from television and from uh-huh. movies, and I decided that you know well, he's a he's a pretty uh, proper guy, and I remember that like I was filthy, like a prude. And, I'm a prude. Mr. Yeah, I, thought, I, mean, I, thought, I kind of like I knew you probably couldn't be because you've been in comedy. No yeah. one, you're not in comedy this long, yeah. and working in nightclubs that you're going to be easily offended. But I remember I was aggravated. I didn't have a great set, and I was like cussing and like. And then oh. I got off, and you were there, and you're like, "That was great." I liked everybody that night. I went to see the one night I was there. My friend T. Sean Shannon, who yeah, yeah, from Texas, that's couldn't right. Believe, couldn't be bluer. He's part of our sketch group. He comes in with the bluest sketches, but they're always funny. Yeah, always someone getting anally uh, raped. Or, uh, but it's but we went to see him, and it's it's the Happening Club there, and yeah. So I, I remember. Yeah, yeah, everyone was good that yeah, night, yeah. but. Uh, he didn't know we were coming, so I was nervous that he might have been nervous. They, oh God, they walked in. Yeah, and you were with your wife, right? Yeah, and you exactly were spending some time in the city. So, like, when you go back to that area, does it bring back memories? Oh, sure. Yeah, you walk around. Oh, it's I like, always go around. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, this used to be something. Now look at yeah, it. Yeah, but the bitter end is still there. The <laughs> yeah. comedy cellar. There used to be places across the street. I, yeah, all the places. Yeah, I do. I have to look. Oh, the how, um, how did you develop that character? Like when now? Because with Fernwood tonight, I mean, at some point. Like this always fascinates me with uh, with uh, improv actors and guys who who do uh, who do character work is that there's some you, you did, I don't know if you, if I've been able to get anyone to really define it but there's some thing you do that you know is funny that there's a I mean I guess it's just something happens from from but when you yeah. improvise you've just got this this tone like I think in Ferdinand tonight you kind of played it a little like dumber than you are yeah 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 I play a clueless. A kind of a clueless guy who has no... It's like almost like the what? Me worry guy. Right. Which I love to do because I'm just the opposite. I worry about everything. Right. Uh, things are, you know, oh God, what happened? Like today, I just had such a day. I've, I've, I've changed my accountant. Mm-hmm. I, my first accountant retired unexpectedly. Tax period last year was a nightmare. The new people, they're just... Yeah. I got a new accountant. I'm suddenly getting a call from some... Uh, some company uh, that yeah, I've got to have some kind of tax thing in by October 16th. So I had to rush in. I got this new accountant. I said, what? We're just going to leave him for, to go out of town for three weeks. I said, what's the worst if I don't get this thing in? There's no tax owed. Yeah. He said, well, the penalty is $100 a day. I said, oh, God, we're going to be gone 21 days. I yeah. don't want to pay $2,100. So I had to rush over to that. I got home. My wife can't find her passport. Oh, geez. Yeah. No, what, yeah. my, what did you do with my passport? Yeah. I don't know. So then I came here. I got lost coming here. So I worry about everything. Right. So I'd love to be the kind of guy who just, you know, right. I don't just have a passport. <laughs> I'll go through customs and I'll tell them who I am. Yeah. I don't have a driver's license. Hi, I'm Fred. I'd love to be that kind of guy. But you're not. I'm not. So <laughs> you, I just uh, you hide it very well. <laughs> I would never have assumed that about you, that you're just to- toiling in panic oh, all no. the time. I'm constantly expected to be be T-bone. I was coming over. It was quite a rainy day. And, yeah. Uh, uh, constantly expecting a truck to come out and get t- oh, t- yeah, yeah, I worry about that but I worry about that when I walk into my house for some reason I have this concern that I'm going to walk into my house I'm going to open the door and someone's just going to push me or just yeah. run into I, it, but it's crazy do you ever have that panic well, where you're sweeping and you're going to get hit in the head sleeping yeah there's a new one for you Not- where I'm just laying in bed and someone's going to come and hit me in the head now you put that in my mind <laughs> no 
But you know what? I'm nervous when when my wife is uh, is away. Yeah, I'm never nervous at home. But when your wife is gone, it's just me. And I'll, then I'll start locking the front door. Yeah. And one night, isn't that uh, weird that the, you're, she's the one that's making you feel yeah. safe? I, I get that too. If there's as long as there's two of us in the house, yeah. we're going to be okay. Well, I'll be brave around her. <laughs> I'll handle this. But if it's just me, well, this is about three months ago. Yeah. She was staying with friends at the at the beach or something. Yeah. And I assumed I was alone. I was laying in bed, and I heard a noise. Yeah. And I heard the front door open, and I and there was someone walking. And so I opened the door, and she was standing there. She'd come home. And I told her, I said, oh, my God, I thought you were going to be gone overnight. But my first image, and I told her, was short, white, short and white. Yeah. And she laughed about it. I said, no, your first image, what you don't want to see is three big, dark guys. Yeah. Because I think I'd probably try to reason with them. Hey, look, what, what, do, you, yeah, 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 what do you want? I'll give you some money. <laughs> You don't want to see a gun. You don't want to yeah. see a gun or a yeah. knife or a motherfucker. And, yeah. you know, but it, I said, I, my first image was short and white. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and, and that's what you were hoping for? She, so you yeah. could maybe get a... You maybe may, a struggle. I wouldn't get give the her upper hand. <laughs> yeah. So, but she still says, I still laugh about you, short and white. No guns in the house. No guns. No, no, no guns. No, I got a knife or what am I going to do? Or a bat? What are you going to do? <laughs> you gotta, and I don't think I'd use it on some. I think I'd reason with him. Look, <laughs> I could never be a cop, I don't think. Yeah, you know, I watch these cop shows. Yeah. And the poor guys, you know, they're always finding someone with a little marijuana. And yeah. the poor guy's saying, oh, man. I think I'd say, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You know, when they beg the cop, no, no, please, man. I yeah. say, oh, go ahead. I go ahead. I think what I'd arrest are the guys that don't signal. Give them a ticket the guys that don't. I hate yeah, that when they don't signal a sure. turn. Yeah. And you're sitting behind them, and then they put on the turn. Um, that so, I might give them a ticket. But the poor guy with a little marijuana. Yeah. Is marijuana legal? or It seems to be legal. It's not legal. Always, you can buy some down the street. You yeah, need well, some? No, no, thanks. But... Uh, <laughs> That was never your bag. But they're always arresting someone for marijuana. I don't know. What yeah, I, I don't know if it happens as much as it used to, not with these dispensaries everywhere. But like well, back in the 60s, it wasn't your thing either, hanging no, around? No, I never really did. No, I never. No. I took I was not, didn't, I took not marijuana once. Yeah. I, I didn't like to inhaling because I'm not a smoker. I'll smoke yeah. an occasional cigar. But inhaling marijuana, it hurt my lungs. Yeah. I took, um, coke once. Yeah. Doc Severinson, we were doing the Tonight Show. He came home and he gave us a little bit, everyone a little bit of Coke in yeah. the hallway. And I stiffed, sniffed it up my nose yeah. and everything swelled up and it yeah. felt like, a lot of, I get a lot of respiratory problems. Oh, I said, no, no, I don't need this. <laughs> the, you didn't get the good part. <laughs> I did not like it. <laughs> uh, That's so, so funny. So back in the day, in the 70s, like was it, everyone was hopped up, huh? Everyone was hopped up but me. No. Yeah. And I, <laughs> <laughs> How many situations were you in where everybody was just... La, 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 la. And a lot of times I didn't know it. I thought everyone was having a good time and having fun. I was having a good time. I will... Uh, I will uh, I'll have a drink or two. You know, yeah. I, I like a drink and mm -hmm. uh, occasional cigar. And uh, Now, what concerns me, because we're flying. Yeah. Where are you going? Uh, well, we're actually going... Well, I'm doing a job in, in London, which should be very exciting. Um, it's... it's uh, it's with the people who did Whose Line Is It Anyway. Uh -huh. What it is, they're going to have a celebrity. I'm going to be the host interviewing the celebrity. And there's going to be four or five improvisers. And, you know, well, I went to my first day, I went to high school and I forgot my pants fell down. I'd say, hey, guys, let's reenact that scene where Tom Hanks walked into high school. He didn't have a belt on. Oh, his, I get it. So it's and then they'd act it out. Mm -hmm. It's like what they, they call ASCAT over at the UCB is where they have somebody do a short monologue, and then the improvisers sort of take off it's from like there. It's like that, yeah. yes. 
Interesting. And I hope they don't hear about that because then they'll get... I, I'm so surprised they asked me. They, and I said, gee, this is great. I'll, I did a show like it a couple of years ago in New York. Yeah. Um, and it, it was it, the improviser, you have such respect for the guys. I mean, they just get up and improvise. Some of them very quick. Oh, my God. So anyway, we're going over to do... I'll be there two two weeks, but my wife, we're going to go to Berlin for a few days beforehand because we were there a year ago two years ago, and we're only there a couple of days and really loved it. It's a very unique city. Uh-huh. It's um, it's almost all demolished. I'm a big fan of World War II. I love all the history of World War II. Yeah. And uh, there's a few buildings left, and uh, the, the Brandenburg Gate is there. And uh, and now you can go to both sides without any you problem. Can, yeah. And all they talk about now is where the wall used to be, the wall. Yeah. And I think that's... So no one asks, well, where was Hitler? They yeah. don't want to talk about Hitler. They'll talk about the wall. Oh, so look at that. The but wall coming see, down yeah. erased Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> but I've got to go by, and I didn't get the chance to see where his bunker used to be. They built uh, apartments over it. Really? That's got to be a weird place to live. It must be. I well, think, if I, you believe in that kind of stuff. I think, I have a feeling that people who live there know, and it's kind of weird. It would have been better if it was like a Jewish retirement hospital. <laughs> <or> something. <laughs> something that would some be a significance. Yeah. Look, there's some history to this. Yeah. <laughs> A lot. I'll give you a good price. What? Well, what could possibly be? No, the bunker was well, if right. That's where he ended. Then this is where we start. That's right. Yeah. That's where they won. So, all right. So, Fernwood tonight was it really like? Because I remember that there was. It just felt like that at that time. You know, things were changing in comedy. There's a little more freedom. It was a little yes. weirder. And there seemed to be a new crew in town, and like because SNL started, uh, you know, not right long about after that, that time. Yes, and it, it just seemed like the whole thing was busting open in the mid to late seventies. For yes, and, and you were part of that crew. That's right. And then along came Monty Python. We were in London. We got to go to London to do uh, the Tom Jones show. And one night we're all sitting around at a dinner party. And we what was on- he like? Tom Jones could have been greater. I loved his voice. I yeah. love his music. He loves these old fifties songs. Yeah, and Pixies also. And they'd bring him over. He's just a blue-collar guy. Yeah. And they'd put him in one of our sketches, and he'd stand there, and he'd, we'd do it for him once. He'd get in, and he'd play along. He knew his lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Complete gentleman. I, I just I just love him. And um, uh, I'm a, always a big fan. We were on the show once. Little Richard was on the show. Ah. And there we were, five Americans sitting in this, in this uh, rehearsal room. There's Little Richard, and we were all trying to be cool. Yeah. And Little Richard is up playing... Please send me some loving. Yeah. And Tom Jones gets up to sing a duet with yeah. him. The only one I could think of who could hold his own next to Little yeah, Richard. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the, the rehearsal, uh, Richard, could we have a photo with you? Oh, sure. Everyone won't want to have a photo with me. He was just a great guy. Yeah. And then a funny story. Uh, my wife and I went out for dinner, and I'm still kicking myself. The next day they said, you should have stuck around. Little Richard invited us up to his hotel room. I said, oh, I can't believe it. Yeah. We were up there. We had drinks. Little Richard went in the other room and brought out a book of just pictures of women's vaginas. Uh-huh. Can you meet Little Richard? Huh. They said it was so weird, and he showed us these pictures. <laughs> and <laughs> So then he said, maybe I shouldn't have been there. Maybe I... Well, maybe. I did, but <laughs> just to sit in a room with, with Little, Little Richard. Richard looking at vaginas. <laughs> with him probably saying, like, why can't I like these? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to what get the, myself to like yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not what you assumed about him, but yeah. maybe he had a fascination. But yeah. it's just weird when they're just separate from the body, perhaps, just vaginas. Yeah, that, that was the weird thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite then, a party. That little yeah. Richard, huh? <laughs> he throws a party. <laughs> and then the guys, then we, we, we were coming back to L.A., and the mm-hmm. guys were going to Stockholm. Mm. 
And uh, I couldn't go. My wife wanted me to come home. We just had a baby. So I, well, I flew home. And I said, get me some of that uh, pornography. Is it Stockholm or Sweden? Sweden. Stockholm? Sweden, uh, Sweden Swedish, have... Yeah, the Swedish. So they brought me a pornographic that. magazine. My wife didn't like that. She, is, <laughs> uh, the next day I said, what happened to it? I threw it out the window. Yeah. I said, oh, no, uh, my pornography. One pornography I had. I should have <laughs> gone to Little Richard's room. <laughs> so at that time, so Monty Python was popular? Well, time? oh, we tuned on, and yeah. here's this Monty Python. Right. We'd never seen anything like it. Because they were only in England at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And then we decided, we said, you know what we should do? We should get hold of their material and com- do some of their material and our material on an American TV show. So we got our agent. We tried to talk in American, and then we took it down to some some network to buy it. And we sh- we showed them a, a Monty Python, and they looked at it. And they were they didn't laugh. They said, "Oh, it's like Laugh-In." And they said, "Oh, they just didn't get Monty Python." How could they compare Monty yeah. Python to Laugh-In? So a year later, we heard the Time Life bought Monty Python, and then the rest is, uh, is history. Did you ever meet those guys? Or? I met Eric Idle. Uh, through doing um, uh, Best in Show, I did worked at uh, my partner in that show, uh, judging the the dog show was Jim Piddick, a wonderful yeah. English actor. You were hilarious in that. Thanks, yeah. And he, we were at a party, and he knows Eric Idle. He knows all these guys. So I met Eric Idle, and I'll sit. And, and, and I don't know whether it's more exciting to sit with Little Richard or Eric Idle when you realize what Eric Idle he wrote. Not only was with. Monty Python, but wrote the nudge, nudge, wink, wink, yeah, all yeah. these. He was the guy who did it, and he's just a regular. He's he's a, you know just a Brit. I don't know. We sit and talk for a long time, and uh, he tried to get me to do um, Spam a lot. He wanted yeah. me to be Spam a lot, right, sure. and I couldn't do it. And uh, I would not have been as good. At, who they use the guy from uh, Rocky Horror Show? I Tim could not. Curry? Have, Tim Curry was it, and then they wanted me to replace him. And I said, I, I thought I just can't. I was so flattered they wanted me to do it. I couldn't do that. They, Tim Curry had a great voice. And... It's interesting that, like, you know, throughout your career and uh, as you talk about it, that you you, you always sort of, uh, there, there were, like, because in my mind, you know, working with Alan Arkin, yeah. you know, even for a little while, yeah. to me it's like, that must have been fucking mind-blowing. It, it was great, yeah. And 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 then to see where he went and then where yeah. you went and you, you, you both did all right, you're both yeah. very respected, but you still had this thing where it's like with comedians, like someone like Eric Idle, you're yeah. like, oh my God, it's Eric Idle, and you yeah. feel that, you're a fan of his work. Yeah, and you don't want, you try to, you joke for a minute or two and he jokes and after a while say, let me just have a serious conversation with this guy <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah he's probably here to all the jokes right nything i can say can make him laugh he's very nice if i say something funny, he'll laugh. Oh, yeah. but then i get off on another subject we talk about people in england and uh, you know now was the real people thing because i i definitely have conscious memories from that real people was interesting i got a call one day from george slaughter sure who had done speaking of laughing, laughing and everything else he's Fred like, george slaughter yeah. what yeah i'm doing this show called real people i saw you on uh, fernwood tonight and you you talked to crazies uh, like they're normal, and that's what I want to do. And I said, "Well, okay." So he but he wanted real down. crazies. He wanted, yeah, he got real crazies. And I've always wanted to talk. You know, if you if you find someone on the street who's nuts, or, yeah. You want, I try to make a real conversation with them to see what what they're. I always have a feeling they have something in their mind that they're trying to express. I found out that most of them don't. But he he told me about the show. Yeah, I they, said, if they had a little more focus, they probably wouldn't. Yeah. be talking to the yeah. wall. Um, <laughs> So he said, he told me about the show, yeah. and it was NBC, yeah. and it was going to be six. And I said, well, okay. Um, so I did six of them, and it wasn't quite as cutting edge as I thought. Yeah, because it seemed like for you, uh, to it didn't really, you weren't able to use your chops. Yeah, and then I found out I was going to, doing a lot of stories, and he was editing. The, the, I, had a, I had a friend who, who was an editor on the show, 
And he said, I saw the funniest stories come in, and when they came out, they'd cut you so much. And then the show would always end up with, it's time has come to say goodnight. We want to, to, to do, and God bless. And it was a little too American pie and American. And my wife said, hey, you don't want to do that show. Don't do that. So you only did six? I, no, I did six. And after a couple of years, then, of course, the show skyrocketed. They, it was they, you, Skip Stevenson, Byron Allen, and who else? Uh, not. Uh, um, wasn't Byron Allen? What was he Not on? for, I think Byron did come on. Um, Bill Rafferty. Yeah, Bill Rafferty. Bill Rafferty. From San Francisco. From San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And you know who else was on? The little guy. Sarah from, Purcell. Sarah Purcell. Yeah. The little guy from The Christmas Story, uh, who's now a big producer-director. Peter, Peter Billingsley. Okay. He's the cutest little kid, the most precocious little kid. And, of course, I left it, and uh, the show skyrocketed. In the After top you 10. left? Yeah, of course. <laughs> And um, about thir- three years in, I'm a big baseball fan, and I read an article about this ball player. He played in the major leagues with one arm. His name was Pete Gray. Mm-hmm. And I read a story that he was still lived in this little town in Pennsylvania and played golf. He was in, about in his 70s. I called George Slaughter. I said, George, I would love to come back to just do a story on this guy. He, was, he played for the St. Louis Browns in 1945. He's a one-armed player. He, he played, he hit like 240, 250. Yeah. But he, it was wartime, but he held his own. And George said, that's a great story. I used to be a member of the Not Whole Gang in St. Louis. He said, we'll, we'll line up the story. So then he called me a few days later and he says, this guy doesn't want to do the story. He doesn't want to, he, they're doing a whole story of his life. And he's, he's a curmudgeon. He hangs out in a bar. But come on in. I'd like to talk to you about doing a few shows. So I went in and I did about... Uh, 10 or 11 shows that year. Oh, good. For very good money. And I, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. It was good money, and I enjoyed myself. And then the next year, I said, you know, I'm going to do it the whole year. Really make good money. By yeah. good money, it was like, at the time, like 14000 a week, which is probably like thirty, forty thousand 40000 a week now. Good money to me. And I said, yeah, let me do it. I'll do it every year. I mean, I'll do the whole show. Suddenly, when, when I wanted to do it, then he, he, he told my agent, he says... I want Fred to. I want to sign a three-year contract. So I said to my agent, "Well, let's just do one year at a time." Look, like I've been doing. My agent came back. She says, uh, "No, George wants three years." I said, "Well, um, I don't know. What should I do? Should I go back?" She said, "No, no. He's withdrawn the offer." That just was like it. That. Yeah, I think he wanted to teach me a lesson because I wanted to do a year, and then he got some other guy. Then he 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 fired Bill Rafferty. He he fired everyone on the show at one time. I was not aware of this, except Sarah Purcell. Right. And NBC, she wanted more money, and NBC said you have to pay her more money because she was really great, very pretty. And, and George says, if you want her, you pay her the extra money. <laughs> now, now I'm so, assuming you don't have a relationship with him anymore. I, I actually do. Sarah Purcell and her husband invited my, my, me and my wife, George and his wife, down to their, their club in Santa Monica. I said, what am I going to talk to about George, George with George Schlatter? Did you ever ask him whether or not he screwed you? To teach you a lesson? I think he knows, but to, to me, you know, we went down and George had, had a drink or two. Ah, oh, Fred, you're my favorite comic. Uh-huh. This is my favorite guy. And I think he sincerely means it. He did. He, someone once described George, he says, he'll love you for six months and then turn on you and fire you. But he's a big he's a big guy in the industry. And we had dinner and his wife is so pretty, former showgirl. And um, we had a nice evening 
And uh, great, we got to get together, Fred. Yeah, Dan, you, you, we, we kept recalling yeah. one one story I did for him, which was not the funniest story I did. <laughs> I used to laugh at that, a perpetual motion machine. I, I said, well, I had funnier stories yeah. than that. But he's um, he's he's a legendary guy, and he he really started all this reality. That was the first reality sure, show. Sure. Now, do you but like in talking about that? I mean, you've been in show business a long time, uh-huh. and you've got you've done a lot of episodic work. Yeah. You've done hosting work. You've done movie work. Mm-hmm. Now, like in in talking about Schwader and in talking about these decisions that you made during your career, is there part of you that thinks like, ah, oh, fuck, I should have done? this. I always I make the wrong. I would never. Anytime I'm offered something, I find a reason I I, I can't do it. But uh, um, I, I've done something. I loved. I, I fought to get on SCTV. Remember that show? Sure. There was a Eugene Levy, Eugene Levy, Marty Short, right. John Candy. I saw them in Canada. Rick Moranis. Rick Mar- he, he joined it. Uh, oh, those were later? They came from the, the, the Second City stage. Rick Moranis came in like a year or two into it. I love the show, and I'd run into Joe Flaherty, and I said, "Joe, I love that show. You've got to get me on that show." And, oh, you've got to. And I was on Real People at the time, yeah. so they thought I was the big because I was on Real People. They, yeah. they were on some little. So I did two or three of the shows, and it was great. I most of them to were Canadian. On, uh, no? I think they're all Canadian. Uh, yeah, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene, Catherine O'Hara, Marty Short. So funny. Yeah, and I just did Martin Short. He just did a new special up in Toronto, and he had me do a part, and I went up to do that. So that's how you got in with them, because you get you, got in with that. How, how much did you do on Second City? Uh, I did two or three episodes, and um, I really, I really, but I, uh, my, I sincerely loved it. So it wasn't like, oh, hey, you're the greatest. I really loved it, and I wanted to be on it. I just loved every every character, and I could quote their lines back to them. Oh yeah. You're a uh, fan of this no, stuff. I really was, and yeah. I still am. I still have their two Christmas episodes, and I quote lines to Eugene Levy, and he doesn't know what I'm talking about. I said, Eugene, you did that on the Christmas episode. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Is that where you met Christopher Guest? Because um, I mean, it seems like he Christop- uses a lot of them, too. Christopher, I met when they did... Um, Spinal Tap? Spinal Tap. Yeah. And I'd known him. I think he was an understudy when I did Little Murders in New York. He was just... A, probably young actor and i didn't really know him but i think eugene levy was more instrumental in getting me because eugene writes with christopher where did he come from christopher guest i mean where i mean like what was his background he was an actor you knew him in new york as i found out he was at a folk group in new york Uh as a folk singer Uh uh-huh uh he was an actor he he was in the uh what's the thing they did down what were those rising star what are those animals that go off the uh run off follow each other hamsters oh, oh lemmings right the he lemmings was, okay. was in that lampoon's lemmings and uh <laughs> oh that's right so he was there with all those guys was belushi in, was in that and yeah. everybody was in so he was part of that crew and i should have known that and christopher guest in, in, at saturday night live and i always heard a rumor when we did we were doing a mighty wind some told me that christopher guest is very um uh special about who he wants in his and, and I heard that Mary Travers from Peter, Paul, yeah. and Mary had called him yeah. and wanted to be in it, and he said no. So I asked him one time, I said, Christopher, I've got to ask you, did Mary Travers call you? And she, he says, no, that's not true. He says, but she did babysit for me. <laughs> when he was a kid? When he was a kid. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? I mean, he, he knows. So he it. grew up in it. Yeah. Um, because he's created this, uh, I don't know what the word for it is, oeuvre, or like Christopher Guest has created this, he seems to invented this modern like it's it's a mockumentary with Spinal Tap, but yeah. but some sort of amazing cinematic space for genius improv is impro- improvisers. Yeah, and I think and he's he did he, his first one waiting for Guffman. 
Well, the first one he was in, but it was Rob Reiner's was Spinal Tap. Then he did Waiting for Guffman. You were in Spinal Tap. I was in Spinal Tap. You played the military guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was easy for you? It was very easy because I had a military background. I just, and I thought no one's going to watch this movie. And I knew Michael McKean and, and uh, Harry Shearer and, and Christopher. And we, we took a few. It was kind of we knew what the lines were. So I was, you guys are all friends, too. You and so you, Harry and Michael McKean, I d- did know, and David Lander. They were in a group called the, the, the Credibility Gap. Right. That was a big one. That they played at the improv. And my group was the Ace Trucking Company. And I thought their group, by our standards, they were so bright. And we had a, a, a job in the Midwest in Chicago and Indiana. We had about 11 dates. And two of our guys, one guy was off doing the, a movie and another guy was doing... And we needed replacements. We had to cancel the group. I said, why don't the two of us combine with Harry Shear, Michael McKeon, and David Lander? Yeah. Combine our material. So I got to work with them and know them. And that was in the 70s. It was in the, uh, let's see, 70s, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I've remained very good friends with all of my. I, I had no idea that there was this big sort of sketch comedy improv scene that was really kind of thriving in a way in the seventies. Yeah, that there were several different groups and there. Yeah, were... they didn't improvise. They were they were very scripted, but they did very political stuff. And they did a version of Who's on First that yeah. to me is so f- much funnier than Abbott and Costello because it's a it's a, a promoter who comes into a newspaper to promote. His rock, he's doing a rock show right. down in an auditorium. And the guy says, okay, let's start. Who's on first? And the guy says, oh, you already know, because the, the first group was who. Yeah. Who's on first? Oh, that's right. No, who? Yeah, who? Yeah. Who's on first? <laughs> right, right. And then he says, okay, who's the second group? Guess who? I don't know. who. Is, yeah. No, guess who? <laughs> and the third group was yes. Will you tell me the name of the closing <laughs> act? Yes. <laughs> and it's the brightest sketch. Yeah. Um, you always saw, you always seem to think that your sketches were not as smart as these other very, guys. No, that's not smart. But fun, strangely, when we combined our sketches, our sketches went funnier than theirs because theirs was a little more thoughtful than ours. Ours were more cartoons, uh-huh. people running on and off the stage uh-huh. and silly stuff. Um, but I've remained very good friends with all of Michael McKeon, uh, David Lander, uh, Harry Shearer, and uh, I'm such such a fan of all of theirs. So anyway, so Christopher Guest started doing these movies, Waiting for Guffman. The the company, Castle Rock, wasn't quite sure what they had. And then it got kind of an inside movie. Then they did uh, Best in Show, which was very uh, popular. And Mighty Wind. Mighty you Wind. Were, that, you were hilarious in that. Uh, now, yeah. I got to ask you, I, because to me, like the, there was a genius in the haircut. Yeah. I mean, was whose choice was that? My wife de- said, she showed me a group, a, a picture of an old group. I don't know if it's Poison. One of those 70s rock groups, these guys that were a little too old to look like that. Like the, that. Right. And he said, you should, she said, you should dye your hair blonde yeah. with dark roots. Yeah. So I said, okay, I think I'll ask Chris. And I said, no, I better not ask Chris because if it's not his idea, yeah. he won't like it. Right. So I got my hair dyed from yeah. my guy who does my hair. Yeah. And I went in, and Christopher he said, oh, God, that's awful light. Yeah. And the, the hair people were very supportive. Oh, no, we can bring the color down. Right. And uh, it's funny. So, was, And I, I came in with some suits I'd bought, some zoot suits. And you had that and little faux hawk thing. You had the, it was that was like for sticking. the next movie, which was a, a, a for your consideration. At that time, and in Mighty Wind, I said, you know, I'd like to wear a little earring. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. A it's little earring. Like, yeah, I remember. And he said, no, no, no earring. So the next movie, the final movie, was For Your Consideration. He said, I think I'd like to dye your hair blonde, give you a faux hawk, 
And he said, I think add a little earring. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Because <laughs> then that was his idea. But that was so hilarious because this that character to me, the the whole the 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 washed up comic element of him. That was yeah. That's what I thought. He my character was supposed to be just a manager, right? Of um, of 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 a musical group. I said it might be funny if he had a sitcom. He was an ex comic, right? Right. Had one year on a sitcom thirty years ago and thought everyone remembered his catchphrases and, uh, and that was all you. Yeah, it was all yeah. You and came it, up with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What happened? What happened? <laughs> like it, like no one remembered it. But there, there was that time in that period with. Uh, Everyone, all those catchphrases on I those know, shows. It was so genius. Yeah, thing. yeah. What happened? And actually, I yeah. weird confidence of repeating it. Even oh yeah, no one had any idea. And I think I started by saying, "Let's get it out of the way." What happened? Like everyone, <laughs> and everyone knew. Uh, so, guest so. creates an environment to where you can do that, or yes, no? very much so. And he's very, you know, he tells you exactly what you have to get out, what information. Yeah, he, he gives you your character. And then I added a little to it with a background, and um, and then the first scene he sets the camera, and this is the interview, and it went for twenty minutes, and he just walked through the room. He says, "Well, that's half our movie right there," but he, he won't say it's funny. Was that funny? Uh, yeah, let's now it's a. Then when you, he'll cut it down to a, maybe a minute, but he, you know get what he want. And, and Bob uh, Balaban's amazing. Bob is so wonderful. What a comedic wizard he, he is too, right? Well, he is the the perfection. He fits everything of improv. He doesn't try to top you. He doesn't try to stay. You know, he just becomes the character. And if he gets a laugh, if not, he just becomes that character. And that's the perfect example of of. Uh, of improv is that the trick to it when you're doing like because you know i know that a lot of people a lot there's a lot of improv groups and this and that and even back in the day you guys were playing improv games yeah. but 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 that's you know that's stage that's club improv so when you do improvisational acting what are some of the tools you bring <clears throat> to the table what you've got to do is there's different times as you say club and i i i cheat a little i try to be you know you try to be funny hey let's get a laugh here yeah but the I- ideal is just to get in the scene and listen to the partner just like you're and i often tell people improv if you don't think you can improvise if you're starting out get into a scene and don't try to be funny just talk to the person you're going to the grocery store oh i need milk get me then if something funny happens oh by the way the last time you brought milk it was sour um and then but I actually I liked it. So I see if they got sour milk. See, I'm just yeah. You're coming up with it. But don't try to be funny. And then right. there, there's some people can take to it and be very funny. Some people are just funny being serious. So there's all all different ways. I don't know if you really can teach him because well, you're because you're the kind of guy like you know you've probably worked with a lot of cats in your life where with improv actors they're, 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 there's almost a different set of personalities for each one yeah. like there's the brash guy who's yeah. gonna Very young. And, but there's always the guy that underplays it yeah. and, and sort yeah. of kind of is a little stilted and comes with his own timing like yeah. the stuff in uh, Best of Show when you're sitting there I, I was just talking about this with my friend that the the whole like you seem to build a, a pretty solid uh, uh, sense of past for these guys. Like you know, you could just read into that guy that you know he was sort of oh, a, yeah. uh, you know a TV hack. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know what I mean? But but everyone's familiar with that guy. Yeah. And you have a very sort of familiar, kind of uniquely American disposition. Yeah. yeah. That, that that when you see the 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 darker elements of this guy's yeah, ca- yeah. character, and he doesn't even know it's coming out. Yeah. And he's just trying to make conversation in an awkward situation. It's, yeah. it's, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. But yeah. like, you, do you you make certain choices about their life? You just have a yeah. couple of things to hang it on yeah and i think if someone asked me about them you know a lot of actors you say they write a whole biography right i never did that but if someone asked me about my character what did he do three years ago i could tell you yeah 
you know, was he married? Yeah, he was married once, and then he got a divorce. It just it it's kind of fits into the background. You you set yourself in this situation. I guess that's how you do it. And Christopher Guest will give you the you know here's what you did. You did this, you know that. You're up against this guy, and uh, Bob Balaban is a perfect foil because he's so serious. And yeah. I remember him from Seinfeld, where he played the the head of NBC. Uh huh. And he scared me. And it, he, when in Waiting for Guffman, there was a scene where Catherine O'Hare and I had to come in the room and audition for the play. Yeah. And I didn't know Bob Balaban was going to be in the room. And he has that look on his face like, who the hell is this? <laughs> so <laughs> in, in um, I think it was Best in Show, I had to go up and, and, and interview him. So immediately I got a brass side to me. Yeah. He was Dr. So-and-so. Doctor, listen, I got a little pain in my upper... <laughs> Up on the left-hand side, is that bursitis? Is it cold? And he just looked at me and says, well, I'm not that kind of doctor. Now, he could have tried to top me. Yeah, yeah. He said, what have you been doing with you? But I said, no, I'm just kidding with you here. But he was so perfect. He's a perfect foil. Eugene Levy is that kind, too. Good foil? Oh, he's like, you can just take advantage. I said to him in the scene, you look like the kind of guy who spends a lot of time in the bathroom. But it just let, no, I wouldn't say that to Christopher Guest. Yeah, yeah. Said to Eugene Levy's character. Not yeah, to Eugene, but to right. his character. yeah. They're fun people to work with. and It's uh, so funny because Bob Balbin's been around since the late 60s, too. And he does everything. Man, Every you see movies, he produces. He's, yeah, he's, uh, he's a terrific guy. Well, it comes from uh, the Balaban, the RKO or whatever. Balaban yeah, he's a theater family, right? Yeah, that yeah. doesn't hurt. Yeah. My dad, I didn't know what he did. Yeah, he went away and came home at 5 o'clock in a tie and sat with his tie and jacket. Dad, loosen your tie. Um, so in the big picture of things, like, you know, after you got back from the Army, you made this choice. I mean, what, how'd your family react to that? Do you, I, mean, I could not. I didn't want to tell him I got a job. My, I had a stepfather. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got to go into business. Business is the and, uh, So I got a job in New York in an office. Yeah. But it was a kind of job where you, it, was a, it was a credit company. You could go out uh, in, in, uh, on the street and, and go to different companies to get credit reports. So if there was an, if an audition, I could get up and leave. And but at night uh, we were doing this comedy act with my partner, and you know he, uh, so it was really tough. I, I couldn't do it. Now you'd, you'd leave a club at midnight, and uh, you'd get home at one. You had to be up at eight and be in work at nine. And uh, my partner had lost his job, and I said, "Boy, you're lucky. You can sleep late." <laughs> but he had a wife and kid, and it was tough. And I said, "Yo, you're lucky. I envy you." And I was making like eighty-five bucks a week, but we finally auditioned for a, a company. Uh, upstate New York, you heard about the, the Catskills. Yeah. This was not the Catskills. This was the like the uh, the uh, the Goy uh, uh, Catskills. It was uh, more white bread, dinner theater ish. It was dinner theater. It was repertory. Yeah, and we auditioned. There was a first banana, a comic named Larry Wild. Uh -huh. I don't know. He's written. He wrote. He wrote all these books about um, the Jewish joke book, the oh, he Polish did those? joke book. Yeah, the, yeah, sure, uh, I remember Mexi those. Yeah. Very, very funny man. Not that funny on stage. He was like like uh, Alan King, kind of that corny humor. But yeah. in person, he was the funniest guy. And he was the first banana, and they needed a second banana, so they hired my partner and I as second banana. Well, the good thing, we got to, we gave my partner a job. I got to quit my office job. I had to go home and tell my parents, oh, yeah, I'm going to be in show business. And my, my my stepfather, being very supportive, he says, there's a lot more unemployed actors than there are credit reporters. I well, you know, I'll, I know I know that. Did you never get along <laughs> with that guy? No. I, I look back, he had a tough... Uh, uh, I, you know, your stepfather, your mother marries another yeah, guy. I, yeah. I didn't, And he didn't uh, care for anything I did. And, yeah. Um, anyway, it's a long story. But he died and... Uh, and I look back and I said, I, maybe he was not that bad. He had, a, he had a tough... It was just a matter of their uh, approval of it. Yeah. Your mom was okay? Uh, she lived to be a good old, a good ripe age. 
93. She and she was, was uh, so she, she was able to see some of your success. She and... saw some of my stuff, yeah, and she was amazed that she'd come out and see the house we live in, which is not that great. It's a nice house, but she, oh, she had to take pictures and show her friends, and uh, she was great. She didn't quite get, I mean, she had a pretty good sense of humor. Yeah. You know, she <laughs> from Cleveland, you have a good sense of humor in Cleveland, even though she was the least funny of all. Her, her brothers and sisters. Well, you know, Jonathan Winters comes from Cleveland. Dayton, D- Dayton, Dayton, just a little right. west. Yeah, there's that Ohio, Bob Hope. Yeah. Uh, Jack Riley, a yeah. lot of guys I've met out here. There's a Cleveland, Drew Carey, I think, is from uh-huh. Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland rocks. Hey, have you uh, have you spent time with Jonathan Winters? <laughs> a little bit. He's, he's a little he's tough to be with. Yeah, yeah a little. How's yeah. yeah, this? hat. And if you're with him long enough, he'll come down and just be, you can yeah, get a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent an hour talking to him. He's yeah, kind of, for a half um, hour, he's characters, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's like as he gets older, I think that there, there, you know, he's he's right in there. But it's he's got a hell of a memory. I think so. He's oh, yeah. in his eighties. Oh yeah, still, he can. Yeah. You know, like he can do his first radio bits. Do you remember ever hearing him on the radio? Because I think his some of his first bits were on the radio in no, Cleveland. The yeah. first I saw him. I was in a room, and there was a Colgate Comedy Hour or something. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Winters. And he came out, and he did a thing about a sword fight. I don't know if he's making up. Yeah. And he went, in the closing, he put the sword in the sheath. Yeah. But, oh, like he stabbed himself. Bam, Jonathan Winters. And they went to commercial, and the audience laughed. And then they died down. Then they started to laugh again. I'd never seen a response. And the laughter just built. And they'd, no one had ever seen anything like this. <laughs> and he came along in that same wave. Shelley Berman, Bob Newhart, uh, Lenny Bruce. Um, Did you ever get to see any of those guys? I saw Shelley Berman many times in person. Uh, Mort Saul. I tried to see Lenny Bruce. I was at his famous Carnegie Hall concert. And you couldn't wait. I I because uh, no, I, I, he didn't show up till midnight. I think right. Well, it was a midnight show. Oh, and it was a huge snowstorm. Right, and he came out, and you could hardly. I was like, hey, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be wild if they didn't know we were in here? Mm-hmm. But then people from the balcony started to yell, "We can't hear you." Yeah, where are you? I mean, well, screw you. You should have got better seats. Yeah. So he was on a good long time, but it was very hard to hear him. Then I came out to L.A. and he was appearing in um, the Hollywood Canteen, which uh-huh. is a little place is no longer there. And they re- reviewed his show, and I said, I'll go down to see him. It was a small place. There he came in late, walked yeah. in with a raincoat, walked up on stage, walked, talked about 10 minutes. He was mad about something. He said, well, I got to split. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. So we did another 10 minutes and split. So I never got to really see his act, but I got a, 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 a that's bunch of CDs. that I. Uh, that's interesting. So you saw him, and you couldn't hear him at the peak of his career, mm-hmm. and then you saw him, and he was too fucked up to deal yeah, at the end yeah. of his career. But I got a, there's a book of about six of his CDs, yeah. and he did some great... Oh, yeah, yeah. Half of it was just genius. The other half was just blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Um, who else? Bob Newhart. I, I, I've become a little bit friendly with him. I did his show. Sweet guy, just a real... Oh, I'd love to talk guy. to him. Nice guy, huh? Yeah, just the sweetest... Still most, works, right? Like very, yeah, yeah. Now, when you work with the younger guys, like you did something with Tim and Eric, right? Yeah, I yeah. did. I never saw what I did. I'd never heard of their show. And young people would come up to me and say, man, you were on Tim and Eric. Yeah. I said, yes, I was. Oh, great. So I called my agent. I said, if Tim and Eric ever call, tell them I'll be on their show because young people like it. And I did a second. Uh, a second, I did not understand what I was doing. They pieced it together. Somebody was looking through a phone book for restaurants or uh-huh. doing something. And they said, we'll piece it. I said, but what's the point? We'll piece it together. You never saw it. I think I finally saw it. I remember something. I was feeding people out of a pig trough. Uh-huh. 
So you just went along with <laughs> I it. I went along with it, and uh, I said, is this right? Is this what you want? But they're very popular. I, yeah. I haven't really got into that. But <laughs> comedy has, has, has changed a lot. It became very open with Lenny Bruce and yeah. them. You can talk about more. Monty Python came along. It opened up sketch material, and yeah. all comedy material, because you could probably someone could stand up in the middle of a sketch and say, oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong sketch. Yeah, yeah. I'd never seen that. Yeah. Oh, you, can you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in the wrong <laughs> sketch. Saturday Night Live has done that. Yeah. And then um, comedy got very blue. And now it's got, which I love, if, if blue comedy, if it's funny, Dave Attell, I've got a CD yeah. of Dave Attell that I listen to, and I, I won't let my wife listen to it because it's so graphic, but yeah. I'll listen to it every once in a while. He's, He's um, funny. Um, and very dirty but yeah. and funny, oh, but yeah. it's if it's dirty and funny. And then um, now comedy seems to be a lot of it if, Dumb comedy. That's, uh-huh. well, there's no joke. Well, that's the joke. There's no yeah. joke. And Does that I, bother you? I, I feel so old. I said, I'm not getting this. Yeah. Sometimes on Saturday Night Live, I'll watch a sketch. I say, what, what, where's the joke? Yeah. Other times, they're so funny. They're so bright. I love Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I never yeah, miss yeah. it. But we TiVo it. And yeah. uh, I love their cast. They're just great, great... Uh, Fred Armisen and... Sure, uh, he's good, huh? They, yeah. And they're, they... I love it when he does... They do, they do a sketch like the old uh, a Halloween party, Vincent Price. Yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah. half the crowd doesn't know who the hell he's talking about. Bill Vincent Hader was Price, in that. Yeah, 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 Bill Hader. Yeah. I met him. I was on the uh, Jimmy Fallon show with Bill Hader. Yeah. I met him. I said, Jesus, you're so young. He looks like he's, a, yeah. a, he's 14 years yeah. old, and he plays these great characters. He's a funny guy. Yeah, they're all funny. They're so all great. how often do you do your uh, your improv uh, stuff? It's a sketch. sketch group, we yeah. started doing it at a little theater uh, on Fairfax called Bang. Yeah. And we got this group of people write sketches, and we started doing these shows. We did them for about six months, once every month, every two months. Then Second City got in touch with us and said, why don't you do it at our theater? It's on Hollywood Boulevard. They have uh, workshops there and a very nice theater. Yeah, since about, since and it's about fun. You guys, you, uh, every month you do a couple new sketches or what? Good, good new sketches. Uh, it's just great. And yeah. so they come in with the new sketches, and we got some great people. And it started out, I would write most of the sketches. And now... I'll do maybe one sketch because everyone else is so funny. I'll put and you'll act another sketch. one? Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. do in a couple. Of, yeah. Well, it was great talking to you, Fred. Thank you for, yeah, thank you. And thanks for coming on. And oh, uh, it's a pleasure. They said, my wife said, boy, I'm glad you're doing Mark's show. It's very hip. Everyone, everyone on the internet, everyone's <laughs> talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I'm, this is great. I know Mark. And uh, this for some reason, I thought I'd done your show, but I don't. I might have done it by phone a year or so ago. Did you do some phoners? I think we did. Maybe something for Air America. I don't know. Yeah, that might have been it. Yeah, just yeah. For a minute or two. But uh, yeah. What's your latest project, Fred? Well, right now I'm yeah. in. Now, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> and now let's go to. Uh, wait, we have Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, that was Fred Willard. Fred Willard was. You're still, Fred... <laughs> you're still sitting there going, "Did I do it? Do I say <laughs> Well, it's, it's certainly great. I'm a big fan, and uh, it was. Well, thank uh, you it was so a much. Pleasure. That's it. That was the amazing Fred Willard with a wonderful conversation. Sweet guy. Sweet guy. All right. As always, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get on the mailing list. I do mail out something every week that I write to you. Uh, you can get some merch. You can get my schedule. Go check those dates. Got a lot of dates coming up in a lot of different places. Uh, you can look at the episode guide to see who's been on and how to get that. You can get hold of the app. You can uh, read the blog. You can comment on things. Try to be nice. I understand you're a community of people that comment on things, but uh, discuss in a nice way. Sometimes it gets a little gnarly on there. So uh, go check that out. And as always, I do. Uh, why am I saying that like I always say thanks for listening? I was just going to say, as always, thanks for listening. I don't think I ever say that at the end, do I? 
All right. Okay, I'll tell you that story on uh, Monday. Okay, bye. Bye? What am I, on the phone? Jesus Christ, you think I just started doing this? All right, I'm leaving. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going.